Kurisi Harry, welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast, where we tell stories from Irish mythology and folklore, and talk about them sometimes. In this episode, we are continuing our series on waterways, uh, with how the River Delvin got its name. This is a smaller river that marks the boundary between the counties of Dublin and the county of Meath. And Aaron is going to tell us a story. Uh, fair warning: a kid dies, and some people don't like hearing that. So, if that's you, uh, mind yourself. Don't need to listen to this one. This podcast comes to you with support from our patrons. You can join them over at patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales. You can find out more about us on our website, candlelittales.ie. You can follow us on social media. You can like, you can comment, you can subscribe, you can share. And for now, you can relax and listen. Aaron, tell us a story. How the River Delvin got its name. At one time, there was a son of a king, Ringden, named Ruud. Now, Ruud was a very charming and well-liked son of King Ringden, and their people were the people of Moimuri. And they had many ways of doing things in the east province of Ireland in Leinster, where things were bountiful and brilliant. But one of the ways of doing things was marrying off sons to different provinces and lands, far away, as far away as Norway. Now, Ruud took it on his own idea to take three great ships and go sailing off on an adventure. His father wasn't much pleased with this because Ruud was, as I said, well-liked, and he was hoping to marry him off fairly soon, as he was of age, and he had a bit of a wandering eye with all of the women in the court. His father didn't much trust where that eye would land. But Ruud was determined to go off to Norway and visit his foster brother and learn all the brilliance of magics and fighting and merrymaking that they would have in the land with tall trees and massive cliffs. He was very excited anyway. And as they set off and they set sail, they didn't get very far before a swale took their ship and they suddenly stopped in the middle of the Irish Sea. The winds blew around as the waves seemed to make a strange sound of crashing and the sea went still as glass. And no matter what they did, row or blow into the sails, they couldn't get the ship to move. And so the superstitious among the men of Ruid's crew began to throw jewels off into the water. They went down below decks, finding all of their gold and their silver and throwing it overboard. Ruid couldn't stop them as they kept trying to appease the spirits, the fae, the demonic spirits that were keeping them there that day. Well, Ruud wasn't so sure about all this until he called out and asked what it is that these spirits or beings or fae wanted. He heard a strange kind of a cry, a smiling, charming laughter float over the water. And as he watched, he saw image of a boat appear out of the mist and coast straight towards them. There were nine women on the prow, all of them giving him quite a looking up and down. He wasn't really paying attention to their gaze at the time, but they asked him to come on board with them and leave his crew behind. As soon as he stepped on board this strange ship, well, the winds blew up again and his boats were able to move on, but he wanted to go with them, so he was asking these 
beautiful women. Which way he could go and how he was supposed to go on his adventure to Norway. But they said, not just yet. You have to promise us to lie with them, each one of us, each night. And we will give you gifts of gold and beauty and our company, which most men would desire. Each night, one woman, either on the soft banks of the rivers, or in the waterways, or on the big bronze bed in the middle of the beautiful boat they were on. Now, Ruud didn't really see much wrong with this. All of the women that were around him were of the fae, the ever-living folk, and they were all extremely gorgeous, and he really couldn't have picked which his favourite was, and he didn't have to. On the first night, he was led into a big bronze bed, which he had doubts over the comfort of it, but sure enough, it didn't really matter, because he was stripped down and, well, I'll leave you to imagine the rest of what happened on the big bronze bed. The following night, he was brought to the bank of a river, and there on the coast, well, a similar thing happened with one of the other beautiful women. The following night was much the same, but whether he was on the boat or the bronze bed or beside the coast or by the river bed, each one of the women was more intoxicating than the last he found. And by the last night, by the ninth time he spent his night with the women, there came a message to him that one of them was with child. They would know this sort of thing because they were of the other world. Now, Ruud was pleased, but also he had given his word that he would spend one night with each of these nine women and be on his way. And so he wanted to get back to the mission at hand, which was to go to Norway and visit his foster brother. He didn't really want to be caught up with the whole fatherhood thing. So the nine women made him a deal. On his way back from Norway, he would pass this way again and check in on them. He gave his word. He would do it. Absolutely. No problem. He could be a father in a few years, maybe. He'll think about it tomorrow. He left that day and went back to his three boats and sailed off to Norway. Now, you might think it's strange that he spent seven long years there, but it mightn't be that strange if you think about how terrified he was to go back to potentially be imprisoned by these nine women for the rest of his days. But the more he thought about it, the more likely that would be. And so he spent seven years with his foster brother in Norway. And I can't tell you all of the antics and adventures and battles they fought because no one thought to record them or tell them. Wasn't the most important thing in this tale, I'll tell you that. Seven years went by either way. And the day finally came where Ruud decided to return. But although it had been hanging heavy over his head, this idea of fatherhood, and the word he'd given to the fae-like women, that he would return to them, he'd always had a doubt. He'd always conceived breaking his word to them. And now as he sailed and instructed his crew to sail back specifically a different way, take a route not to course by where they had seen and spied those fairy women 
on the coast of Ireland to go around instead and land in and settle away from them and fully break his word to them. He thought and hoped he would get away with it. But it wasn't long until they landed where they saw a strange ship coming out of the mist and no laughter, no girl-like lingering over the waves, no calls and shrieks were coming this way now instead. They were sailing fast, faster than most boats could ever move, coming towards Ruid and their men. And when they came to the mouth of the river, that they were standing on a small trickling stream it was, with many rocks, a woman stood with a seven-year-old boy, and with anger in her eyes, she cried and threw down Ruid and her own son, dashing his frail body against the rocks below. Ruid was grief-stricken in that moment. All of his avoidance had come to this day as he stood watching the small river trickle along its course, meeting the body of his only son. He fell to his knees then and cried. Everyone who saw this cried out, was a heinous crime. Bahul in Vinna, which became Alvinna, which for those who twisted their tongues around a language they could not pronounce, became Delvin. And still that trickling stream runs its course, the river Delvin, between the county of Dublin and the county of Meath still marking the boundary of the counties today.